Hi, everyone. This is Daniel Foytek, co-creator and producer for The Lift. Normally, we give Victoria these intros these days, but I did want to take a moment to say thank you to a few folks who took the time to review us in iTunes. I always feel that if you take the time to go into iTunes and give us a review, I should take the time to read them on the show and say thank you. So we have three since the last time we put a show out. The first one is from Bree0907. It's called I Love Victoria. Totally addicting. Was a little leery with the first episode, but got super hooked when I realized Victoria is good. Keep up the great work and storytelling. Thanks for that. This one's a lot of fun. This is from Dick Butkus. Fan friggantastic. I love this podcast and came upon it through the Wicked Library. I don't write many reviews, but Victoria and her lift have me hooked. I love the fact that each week is a new writer with a new story that weaves its way into Victoria's web. I binged the whole series in two days, and I am hungry for more. It's always a pleasant surprise to see that one near the lift in my podcasts indicating a new episode. I have found myself asking WWVD in certain situations in my life, and I find myself wishing, yet fearing, that I may stumble upon that dilapidated building and hear that faint echo of a giggle. Do yourself a favor and just subscribe. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love that we've created WWVD. What would Victoria do? That's tremendous. So thanks for taking the time to share that. That's awesome. And the last one is from Dodger Blue Forever 82. Great podcast. Very entertaining. Great podcast. Doesn't take many words to make me happy. I'm glad everybody's enjoying the show. Uh, I really appreciate those of you who have taken the time to give us a rating and a review of the show. If you leave a rating and review, you'll hear it here. We do appreciate all you guys tuning in and taking the time to listen to the show. There's so many podcasts out there, so many great ones. It's a great honor to have you folks here listening to another story. So without further ado, I'm going to let today's author do their intro and then we'll go for a ride. Hi, this is Chuck Rackage, and I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift, Crosshairs. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at the Wicked Library and another episode on The Lift. Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. <laughs> the choices you made in the past don't matter. But the choice you make now is the one that will set your The Amtrak conductor had no idea there was a telescopic sight centered on his forehead. 
nor that a woman's latex glove finger rested snugly on the trigger of the illegally modified Colt AR-15 rifle supporting the scope. Had the conductor known, he would have soiled his boxer shorts. The woman smiled and shifted her scope's reticle to the left shoulder blade of a young male passenger. He stood in a short line of people, waiting to board one of the Amfleet 2 coaches, stopped at the Greensburg station platform. It would take only the slightest increase in finger pressure to depress the trigger. Tempting, but the woman waited. Instead, she tracked her unsuspecting target as he climbed the coach steps and disappeared into the vestibule. A shift to the right brought her scope to bear on the first window beyond the coach's entryway. The man reappeared and walked the length of the passenger car, her crosshairs following him the entire way. He took a seat at the second window from the end, pulled a smartphone from his pocket, and scrolled through his messages. A sitting duck. Perfect. Well, almost. The shooting angle was too extreme for an easy kill, given the thickness of the Amfleet 2's double-paned safety glass windows. No, she'd wait until the coach moved past her hidden rooftop vantage point. Yes, come to me. Your demise awaits. As an added bonus, there was no wind compensation needed. Excellent. Two short blasts from the Amtrak locomotive's air horn sounded, and the automatic bell ringer beat a staccato warning. Adrenaline flowed into the woman's system. Her heart rate climbed. This was it. A fountain of hot diesel exhaust shimmied the images of trees and houses beyond the train as it overcame inertia and eased into motion. The trailing coach, with its oblivious victim, slipped behind the brick station's ornate clock tower and low dormer-studded roof. The woman swung her rifle to the left, keeping pace with the barely visible top of the passenger car's stainless steel shell. Only a slight vertical adjustment was necessary to center the scope's crosshairs on her target as he came into view. She held her breath. Her finger tightened on the trigger. Click. The train accelerated. The crosshairs remained on target. She pressed the trigger twice more. Click. Click. The train retreated westbound its diesel engine roar echoing and fading in the distance. The anonymous young man had no idea how lucky he was. The woman smiled. In her mind, the imaginary trio of three round bursts easily shattered the Amfleet 2's window and pulverized her random test victim's head into a bloody spray of torn flesh, bone fragments, and gray matter gore. A perfect rehearsal. The woman stood up from her rooftop perch above the university's performing arts center. She hid the rifle in a waterproof bag and duct taped it behind a vent pipe. Tomorrow she would return and her real target would suffer a richly deserved death. She removed the gloves and her Nikes, slipped into a pair of red high heels, retrieved her matching Italian shoulder bag, and a now empty viola case. Opening the roof access door, she descended a narrow stairway 
to the building's top floor. Classical music drifted into the stairwell. The first of two days of auditions for the local symphony orchestra was still in progress. She opened the hallway door crack to check for traffic. Good, the third floor was deserted. Everyone would be clustered in or near the concert hall two floors down, listening to aspiring musicians. After walking a couple of yards, she spotted an elevator that had escaped her notice on previous reconnaissance trips to the building. The tarnished brass sliding door was rather odd-looking, much older in appearance than the surrounding decor. Perhaps it was a freight elevator, or one strictly limited to employee use. She felt a strange, overpowering urge to press the single black Bakelite call button. No, she resisted. Everything was ready for tomorrow's hit. Deviations were to be avoided. She must keep to schedule. Follow the chosen route and exit the center as planned. Before she could turn and walk away, a bell chimed. The brass door slid open, revealing a little girl with a ghostly pale complexion and curly blonde hair. She wore a frilly purple dress that looked like a costume from the early 1900s. Perhaps they were also auditioning for a play or a musical, like Annie. Yes, that had to be it. The young child held an antique wooden music box in her hands. She smiled a smile devoid of warmth and glanced down at the box. After giving the exposed brass hand crank several turns, she looked up at the woman, staring with green eyes that almost seemed to glow. Opening her perfect little bow of a mouth, the child said, Would you like to go for a ride? As if in a daze, the woman obeyed and stepped into the elevator. The door slid closed. All she could think of was how the little girl's upper-class English accent made her sound older and wiser than a little girl had any right to sound. Pompous Englander brat. (laughs) The child giggled, pushed one of nine buttons, and said, Seventh story. Seven? But this building only has three. (laughs) She giggled again and raised the music box lid. No tune issued from its wooden confines. Instead, a dazzling white light burst forth. The radiant pulse filled the tiny space, piercing metal and flesh like an X-ray of unimaginable intensity. In that brief flash, the woman saw the child's entire skeletal form, the bone structure of her own hands, and the rough brick walls of the elevator shaft sliding past. The lift was rising. Going through the roof? That was not possible. And yet... The girl snapped the lid closed. The unearthly brilliance vanished replaced by the sensation of the elevator car rocketing upward ever faster. Who are you? And where are you taking me? The woman demanded. A bell chimed, 
and a green light blinked on inside the button marked number four. You may call me Victoria, and we are going first to a neutral place and have some tea and raspberry scones. I hope you like tea, Renada. How did you know that you prefer your middle name and not your real first name, Marta? Well, that sort of information is quite common knowledge around here. The chime sounded again, and button five glowed green. I despise tea and all things English. Germans often do. How could you possibly know that I? Again, common knowledge. I know secret police or Gestapo involved, Fräulein. Brazen little limey snot. Renata jammed a finger on the red emergency stop button. The lift accelerated instead. Another chime, and button six illuminated. I demand you stop this thing and let me off. For the moment, that is impossible. The child shook her head in reproach. I am in charge for now, and your demands carry no weight here. How dare you! Victoria waggled a finger at Renata. Temper, temper, temper. You wouldn't want those nasty frow lines to permanently mar your lovely face now, would you? Renata reflexively glanced at her reflection in the polished brass interior. Made you look, made you look, you dirty crook. Victoria stuck her tongue out and laughed. <laughs> it was an infectious display of mirth. Renata found herself laughing along with the girl. She even stuck her own tongue out in reply. That's much better, Renata. You see, we actually are both very much alike. How could that possibly be? You're a mere child, a very young child, and I am far older and more experienced than you could ever imagine. I do not see how that can be true. Indeed, there are differences between us. You being such a tart and all that sort of thing. A tart? Yes, you know. A hint of rosy color tinted Victoria's pale cheeks. She looked down at her black patent leather Mary Jeans and shrugged her little shoulders. You like yucky boys a lot. Well, actually, big boys, men, all kinds of men, lots of them, and quite often. In fact, far too often for your own good, if I might add. But, but how could you possibly know about such personal matters? As I said, such things are common knowledge here. You keep mentioning here. Just what sort of place is this, and how did I get here? It is simply where you need to be for the present, and that is the most I can tell you. A chime announced the seventh floor. There was no sensation of having come to a stop. Victoria pressed a button, and the door slid open, revealing a vast, empty room with three doors on the far wall. Each door had a word painted on it in white script. One read "revenge," the next "reconcile," the last "regret." Here we are on the seventh story. Since you despise tea and all things English, we shall get right down to the business at hand. The girl walked out onto the barren floor, and turned, and beckoned to Renata. Come along now. You wouldn't want to spend eternity in some old rickety lift, would you? Lift? Yes, the lift, 
silly, or elevator, as the Americans insist on calling them. Follow me, please. Victoria skipped across the dusty floorboards. Her footfalls silent, yet somehow echoing, dreamlike, in the distance. You must hurry. There are choices to be made. What sort of choices? Renata asked as she stepped warily into the vacant room. Each hesitant click of her stiletto heels was matched step for step by a reverberating creak from the ancient hardwood floor. Choices to be made today for tomorrow, and tomorrow for yesterday, and both for eternity. Why must you speak to me in riddles, little girl? It is most annoying. Victoria stopped, faced Renata, and grinned showing rows of perfect little white teeth between her perfect little lips. <laughs> Silly old tart, you just answered your own question. Such impertinence, and how dare you call me old. I am only thirty-five. Renata thrust her magnificent chest forward as her hands traced the outline of the red-knit dress clinging to her hourglass figure. Is this not the supple body of a woman in her physical prime? Men have willingly died for this, she said, stomping an imported high heel pump on the floor for emphasis. A bit full of ourselves, aren't we? Victoria put both hands on her hips, leaned forward, and silently stomped her own little foot. Traipsing around from bed to bed as you do. You've spent enough time on your back to paint the Sistine Chapel three times over. She giggled and winked at Renata. <laughs> Tarty tart tart. Barely able to restrain giggling herself, Renata crouched to stare directly into Victoria's haunting green eyes. What am I to make of you, little girl? One moment I am furious with you, and the next I cannot help but laugh with you at myself. Victoria grew somber. You and I are very much alike. We are both out of time and place. This is neither your era or mine. Please, no more riddles. I am a prisoner, tied to my past, bound to this decrepit old nine-story building. Victoria's shoulders heaved with her forlorn sigh. But I died long ago, and you have not. At least for now. Although you should have. And eventually will of old age. That is why your case is so unusual. Far more than those normally seen here. And what do you suppose intervened to cause this? Your past was interrupted by a chance discovery of a lost time machine. And the man who made it. Yes, Gregory. Renata's voice sharpened to a knife's edge. I despise him. Why... He even had the temerity to reject my... He rejected your tantalizing torrent of titillating advances. Precisely. But I am surprised you did not say tarty again. Fooled ya! I fooled ya! Victoria did a little hop and skip victory dance around Renata. Stop that immediately! You certainly are a sexy siren. But we both know his rejection isn't the real reason you seek his death. For a woman of my reputation and skills, that is sufficient motive. Liar, liar, brother of fire. Enough. Renata stood, crossed her arms, and gave Victoria a stern glance. Mind your manners, child. 
by the way, I have found they are called bras here in the 21st century. And that's not the only thing you discovered about the future, is it? I have no idea what you mean, Renata lied and glanced at the three doors. The white lettering on them had faded. Worse, the order of the words had changed. Regret, revenge, reconcile. You learnt that all kinds of new things, amazing, unprecedented and deadly things, things of interest to your government, only your government no longer exists. Foolish words from a child. Germany exists now and forever. It is the backbone of the common market, the powerhouse of the modern EU. Not that government, silly, the other one. From the corner of her eye, Renata startled at seeing the words on the doors change completely. Reorder, restriction, and repression. Uh, a woman chancellor now leads the only- Someone has conveniently forgotten a piece of history, haven't they? You have no idea which you are- Come, come, Renata, admit it. Your leader was a horrid little man with the bad hair and black Charlie Chaplin moustache. He beguiled the masses and ruled with the aid of his thuggish followers. Those mindless goons with their old wretched stiff-arm salutes and silly goose-step marching. Victoria raised her right arm and paraded around Renata in mock tribute. I... I was never a member of the Nazi party. Victoria came to a halt. True, you were a domestic German spy, here in America, for Admiral Wilhelm Canaris and his Abwehr Military Intelligence Organization. She played with the crank on her music box. During your failed seduction, Gregory discovered your carefully hidden secret. Now you see him as a serious threat to your cover story. He can also prevent you from passing on the modern-day information that you so carefully gathered. What you say is... It's all true. But the information, it is a bribe. I seek to trade it to save the life of my only brother, Eric. If I fail, he will die during the disastrous Ardennes Offensive. I know this from modern history books and research on that interwebnets thing. Suppose I told you that Eric didn't die in the battle, but was murdered during the battle. But how could you possibly... Ah, more common knowledge in this place, correct? By Jove, she's finally got it! Do not be impertinent, child. Now what if I said the killer committed a second murder, and that Gregory was trying to prevent it? Renata's eyes widened. Are you proposing that I... Yes, form an alliance with him. Work together. Preposterous. Such a union would never succeed. It certainly could. Provided... Victoria poked Renata's firm, flat tummy with a finger. You stop trying to kill him. Renata glanced at the doors again. Her pulse quickened. The original three words reappeared, more faded than ever. Their order rearranged yet again. Regret, reconcile, and revenge. Suppose he refuses to... She turned toward Victoria and gasped. The little girl had vanished. Wait! Come back! Renata took several stumbling steps toward the doors and stopped. All traces of the white lettering 
had also vanished. How can I possibly know which door to choose? She hollered into the dark emptiness. Victoria's disembodied voice replied, All right, here is a clue just for you. It no longer matters to your target of choice. But as for you, you better think twice. The child's laughter echoed and re-echoed. Just go, now! Renata grabbed the middle door's tarnished brass doorknob and turned it. She hesitated a moment, then flung the cracked and stained wooden door open. Excuse us, please, said a tux and evening gown dressed couple as they hurried past Renata. Bewildered, she watched the man and woman hustle through a glass doorway and disappear into a throng of patrons in the Performing Arts Center street-level lobby. It was nighttime. The cool air made Renata shiver as she walked across the street. A family of three passed by. A little dark-haired girl skipped along between her parents holding their hands. The child was humming and singing the words, Tomorrow, tomorrow. Renata's eyes followed the family as they walked into the lobby. A sign next to the door proclaimed tonight's event was the Broadway musical Annie. Below that, a poster announced next week's entertainment, The Diary of Anne Frank, a drama. Renata hurried toward the parking lot a block away. Her hands visibly shook as she reached into her purse for her car keys. She opened the driver's side door of the borrowed red Miata and paused. Glancing back at the theater entrance, she knew she had to remove the gun, but there were too many people around now. It would have to wait until tomorrow. Today's episode featured a story by Charles Rackage, Crosshairs. If you'd like more information on Chuck and his work, you can track him down on Facebook. You can also listen to a story by him from earlier in the season. He did the Christmas episode for The Lift this year. And you can also hear his New Year's Day story over at the Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is thewickedlibrary.com. Of course, you know The Lift is victoriaslift.com. Artwork for today's show is created by Jeanette Andromeda. If you'd like more information on Jeanette and her work, please visit HorrorMade.com. You can also find her on Twitter at HorrorMade and at Jeanette underscore art. You can hear her on the new season of the Ninth Story podcast over at NinthStory.com. She's my co-host for season four. This episode was scored by Nico Vitese of We Talk of Dreams. 
You can find him over at wetalkofdreams.com and on Twitter at wetalkofdreams. Today's narrator was Cynthia Lohman. That's not me. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com forward slash S1E14. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. It's easy to retweet, repost and share the show. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Find us at itunes.victoriaslift.com Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. You can also listen at victoriaslift.com or at Society13. Follow the show on Twitter at Victoria's Lift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. The Lift opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Penninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds. The Lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitesi of We Talk of Dreams. For more information on any incidental music in this episode, please check the show notes at victoriaslift.com for titles and credits. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth-Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. Creator and producer, Daniel Vortic. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lawman. Music director, Nico Vitesi. Art director, Stephen Matito. All characters and works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of STRY Radio and may not be used in any form without permission. The Lift is an STRY Radio and Night Story Studios production. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast. Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.